Scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 17. If you're looking in the chair in front of you in the Bible, I think that's on page 11. Genesis 17, 1 through 8. It says, when Abraham, I'm sorry, correction, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Before we go any farther, uh, I want to pray that God would uh, use me as his instrument and that each of our hearts, mine included, would be receptive to what the Spirit of God wants us to know from the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we want to acknowledge that we have just sung truth about you. You are worthy of worship. There is no one like you. And Father, we want this time where, we're, uh, where I'm preaching your word and where we're he hearing your word to be pleasing to you. That, Father, help me to properly represent you. That your name would be lifted up. And that your name would give us hope. Because indeed, you are the God of grace and mercy and hope. So I pray these things in the name of Jesus, and I also ask, Father, that if there's anyone here or listening via live stream that does not know El Shaddai, that you would reveal yourself to them by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We can find hope in the names of God. And living by faith is sensible. In fact, living any other way is insanity. It's not sensible. So 
So we're starting this 10-week series with El Shaddai, God Almighty, and I think that's very appropriate. Um, this series cannot begin to cover all of the names of God. It's a 10-week series. So if you have, have any knowledge of the scripture, you'll know there are far more names than 10 for the God that we worship. Um, and even if there were only 50, it would be a daunting task to cover all of them in a year, given some of the other things that come into the church calendar. There are many names that God has called himself, and uh, those include today's name, El Shaddai. God says, I am. That's it. That, that actually reveals, us, reveals something to us about God. God says, I am the good shepherd. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. And there are names of God that are revealed in prophecy as well. And just some of them are wonderful counselor, mighty God. Ah, it just so happens that when uh, the son is announced, he is declared to be mighty God. Don't miss that. Prince of peace, everlasting father, Emmanuel, God with us. That's good news, God with us. And that's what we're going to celebrate uh, at the table this morning. There are other names that include Father. We sang that. Alpha and Omega, Ancient of Days. There are many names that begin with El, which is the Hebrew word for God. And that name would be sufficient except for that that doesn't really tell us much about who he is or his attributes. And so God has chosen to give us many names that help us understand who he is and how we should approach him and how we should think of him by some of the names that he has provided. And El Shaddai is one of those. But he is also Jehovah Jireh. Now, in the Hebrew, that may be pronounced Yahweh. There are many different ways to pronounce that Hebrew word. And, and in the Hebrew, the only reason it's difficult for us to uh, know exactly how that should be spoken is that in the Hebrew there are no vowels. So the, the, the word for Yahweh is spelled without what we would term necessary letters in order to pronounce something. Um, but he's known as Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Shalom. Shalom you should recognize, right? What is Shalom? Peace. He is our peace. Jehovah Ra, uh, Pastor Jeremy's going to be preaching on Jehovah Ra, the Lord is our shepherd. Uh, Jehovah Tzedkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. And Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is here. The different names tell different stories about God. And because we're finite beings, we have trouble grasping who this God is that we are to worship. Um, and so when we learn the different names of Jesus, we better understand Jesus, who is indeed the Son of God. And the more we understand something or someone, the greater the relationship can be. The more I understand my wife or my grandchildren, the stronger the relationship can be. And the same is true in our relationship with God. So we've read, and thank you, JP, and thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship we read the main passage for the message this morning, which is Genesis 17, verses 1 and 2. And it says that Abraham was 99 years old when the Lord appeared to him. And he appeared 
to him and started by saying, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Now this is significant because he's about to make a promise that if you live by sight, sounds crazy. Abram is old, and his wife is old, and Sarah, when she hears the news that she's going to have a son, she laughs uh, to herself. Of course, God knew that she was laughing. That's why Isaac's name is Isaac. You can look that up later. Uh, That's significant, his name. Names are significant. Uh, El Shaddai actually only appears a few times in the scriptures. And I believe in your outline you'll see that it's Genesis, Genesis 17, 1, 28, 3, 35, 11, 43, 14, and 48, 3. And then one time in Exodus 6, verse 3, and one other time in Ezekiel 10, verse 5. So it's not a frequent appearant, appearing word. However, God is referred to as Almighty many, many times. In fact, if you read the book of Job, you will see that God is declared to be mighty. Now, mighty is often relative, and by relative, I mean uh, you have to compare in order to know if something's mighty or not. So, you might be mighty, but you are not almighty. Um, When I was a boy, Superman was mighty. I loved watching Superman. Faster than a speeding bullet, you know, able to bound over big buildings in a single bound, and yet he was just the mild-mannered Clark Kent who transformed himself in something that we no longer have, a phone booth. Uh, that, That was just craziness. And sometimes when we think of mighty, we think of Goliath and David. And, and I think of the armies of Israel who are afraid of this mighty man. The problem is, is they're not in view of God Almighty when they're in their fear. And then I got to thinking about some of God's creation. Bears are very powerful. Um, I don't want to meet a grizzly bear face to face. A grizzly bear, according to one source, can lift 1,100 pounds. And a polar bear's bite is 2,000 pounds of force. That's a lot of power. Uh, A a polar bear can lift 1,200-pound icebergs. I I just can't even fathom that. That's powerful. However, the gorilla can lift 1,800 pounds, while the average human is only capable of lifting 100 to 200 pounds. I must be below average because it would be very difficult for me to lift 100 pounds. When I buy bags of water softener salt that are 40 pounds, I do not carry both 40-pound bags downstairs. I'm now limited. In my youth, you know, when I was young like Nate, Nate could probably strap one to his back and have four bags in his hands and walk down the stairs. I'm not Nate's age anymore. Um, Nate's not almighty, but I think he's probably more mighty than me. And then we look at the elephant. The elephant uh, has a grip that's incredibly strong. You look at the trunk and it kind of looks like it's a floppy piece of muscle. Um, 
but an elephant's trunk can exert a force of up to 600 pounds per square inch. That's pretty powerful. And in fact, I've seen pictures and videos where elephants grab a tree and pull it out of the ground or pick up a big log and carry it along. That's pretty powerful. Uh, The grip of an elephant is significantly greater than your grip and my grip. So you see, mighty is relative. But you know, there's another amazing creation of God. It's called the ant. Have you ever watched an ant picking up something and carrying it along? They shouldn't be able to do that based on their weight. The weight of what they're carrying can be 5,000 times heavier than their weight. Let that sink in. If I had to carry something 5,000 times more than I weigh, and I weigh just under 200 pounds, I wish I weighed a little bit less than that. Uh, every, every morning I weigh myself. I'd, I'd like to get back to my Navy exit weight of 180. I'm probably about 10 pounds over that right now. But if I took my weight, let's round it up to 200, and multiplied it by 5,000, There's no way I could lift that. The ant is mighty, at least relatively speaking. Now, there are some strong people in this world. And when I was talking to Austin a couple of weeks ago, I said, when you think of mighty, what do you think of? And he said said something I had not been thinking of. Um, On the next slide, there's a picture of uh, Mitchell Hooper. He's... uh, uh, the strongest man, according to the strongest man competition in 2023. What makes him just amazing is the number of things he had to do to win. And one of them was to pull a 51,000-pound bus down an 82-foot path with a one-minute time limit. That wears me out just thinking about it. (laughs) He's mighty. He's mighty. I wouldn't mess with him. And I I could go on to tell you some of the other things he's capable of. He's not just muscle-bound. He's really smart. He's a marathon runner. I mean, he he is, you know, you think of muscle-bound dudes as not being able to run. This guy can run a marathon. I can't even run one-third of a marathon without being exhausted. And it's not just the men. There's a, a women's competition for the strongest women. And there, was, uh, there is a lady, and I'm not going to pronounce her name correctly, Anita Florzik, I think. She's a Polish athlete. She has won the world's strongest woman competition in 2003, 2005, 2006, 2008. So she's not just a, a one-time wonder, she's a four-time wonder. As I wouldn't mess with her either, by the way. She's a strong lady. So why do I tell you all this? It's to remind you that when it comes to everything we know, mighty is relative. But when it comes to God Almighty, there's no relativity at all involved. And the main idea of this morning's message is that we have two choices. One of our choices is to live by sight or... We can live by faith. Let me encourage you to live by faith. Living by faith in Almighty God is the only wise response. Living by faith is sensible. 
Living by your sight will mean that you will be struggling and you will not be happy. So there are four main things that we want to to cover this morning, and I hope to do that uh, reasonably quickly. So don't get concerned if you think the first point takes too long. You know, sometimes uh, we spend more time on the first point and then we go through the other points. That's a little more quickly. That's by design, so don't, don't be worried about that. The four things that we want to talk about is, number one, who is this God Almighty? Number two, where can we see God Almighty? Because he has revealed himself. He has made himself known. How do the wise respond to God Almighty's commands and promises? And then some activities of faith. And I want to explore the lives of five individuals, and actually their wives as well, um, in looking at the activities of faith. So the first uh, aspect of who is this God Almighty is found in our text this morning in Genesis 17. God says, I am God Almighty. And he is declaring himself capable of keeping the covenant. He's a covenant mighty God. When he makes a covenant, when he makes a promise, he is almighty capable of keeping his covenant. He's also blessing mighty. In Genesis 28, 3, Isaac's words to his son Jacob were this, were these, God almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. He's just repeating actually what God has already promised. It's not saying something new. And he's saying God Almighty will bless you. In other words, he's blessing mighty. When God makes a blessing, it's a mighty blessing. He pours out blessings that are just huge, too big for any one of us to deliver. He is a blessing mighty God. He's also a king-making mighty God. In Genesis 35, verses 11 and 12, it says, And God said to him, I am God Almighty. So he's saying, Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to the offspring after you. He is king-making mighty. If you ever think that Somehow, we've put in place a leader that has uh, taken God out of the picture. You and I would be vastly mistaken. There is no throne but that God has set it up. He is king-making mighty. Now, sometimes he uses kings we don't particularly care for. He uses dictators. He uses presidents that we may or may not care for. But that does not relinquish or give any, um, it doesn't lessen his king-making mightiness. God is a mighty king. He is God Almighty. He's also mercy mighty, and we should be thankful for that. In fact, that's what we celebrate at the table. He is a merciful, mighty God. In Genesis 43, 14, It says, may God Almighty grant you mercy before man, before the man, and may he send back your brother 
and Benjamin, as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. This is Jacob talking to his sons, and he's concerned that he's not going to get his children back. He's already lost Joseph, or he thinks he has. And he's just saying, okay, God Almighty, the Almighty can give you mercy. He is a mercy mighty God. It, it seems impossible to me, but he can provide mercy. I'm going to depend on him. He's also revealing mighty. Uh, in Genesis 48, verse 3, uh, Jacob says to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. So Jacob um, is acknowledging, or Joseph is acknowledging, I'm sorry, Jacob is saying to Joseph, um, I have seen the visible mightiness of God. And, and how is that possible? He's seen God keeping his promise. God's not giving up on the covenant that he has given to Abraham. So he is a revealing God, a mighty God. He has revealed himself to us, and especially in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he tells us who he is by what he promises to do. You learn a lot about an individual by what they promise. And you learn a lot about the individual if they can keep their promise. And the good news is that God is almighty. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. Genesis 18, 14, Sarah laughed. Don't laugh at God's promises. God is capable, more than capable, of keeping every one of his promises. So where can we see this God Almighty? And I'm just going to do a very quick flyover summary of some of the ways that I thought of this week as I was finalizing my notes for this message. We can see God Almighty in God the Father's mighty works, in God the Son's mighty works, and God the Spirit's mighty works. Let's start with the Father. He created everything by the power of his word. He has the power and resources to keep all of his promises, regardless of how complicated or impossible they may seem. He did a worldwide flood. He destroyed two cities very, very quickly with fire from heaven. He kept all of the covenant promises to the children of Israel. He caused devastation in the land of Egypt with ten plagues. He allowed Gideon to win against an army of thousands with 300 men. In fact, he winnowed down the army on purpose so that it would be clear that it was God Almighty who won the battle. David's victory over Goliath was not because David was good with a slingshot. It has nothing to do with it. David, however, said, God Almighty is offended by the vile language of this giant of the Philistines. God Almighty can take care of this. That's why David had confidence. David had faith. 
He wasn't confident in himself. He was confident in God Almighty. God directed the course of the fish that first swallowed Jonah. Did you ever try to direct a large fish? Every time I've caught a large fish, it's very hard. I mean, as long as they stay hooked, ultimately, if the, if the line is good and the hook is set, you know, ultimately, I can drag the fish unwillingly to where I am. God just says, go swallow this guy Jonah. And don't completely digest him. Hang on to him. And then I want you whale to go, well, we call it the whale. We don't know, but it seems likely that the great fish was a whale. He directs the great fish to go close to the shore where Nineveh needs to be preached to and has the whale, the great fish, spit him out. That's Almighty God. He causes King Nebuchadnezzar to go crazy and then restores King Nebuchadnezzar's thinking once again. He's God Almighty. And in recent history, God restored Israel to Israel. He's God Almighty. If he says something is for Israel, it's for Israel. God is God Almighty. How about the sun? The sun commands the storm. The, the disciples were amazed. What is this that the, even the wind and the waves obey him? He made blind people see. He instantly made the lame walk. He healed diseases no doctor could fix. He raised Lazarus just, just by saying to Lazarus, come out of the grave. He died in the place of sinners and bore all of his, our sins in his body on the tree. He ascended to heaven after rising from the dead. He is God Almighty. We will see him return. The dead in Christ will rise. If I die before he returns, when he says, come forth, I'm coming forth, because he's God Almighty. He is the resurrection and the life. What about the Spirit? The Spirit was involved in creation. The Spirit was involved in the work of Samson. The Spirit was in, involved in the virgin birth of Jesus. The Spirit was involved in the empowerment of the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit is the one who makes people that are dead in their trespasses and sins alive. The Spirit is almighty. So how do we respond? I want to give you three Bs. The first one is be ruled by two commandments. In other words, the, the first command or the first response is obedience. In fact, it is simply folly to disobey someone who is almighty. Now, we all sin, and thankfully, because he's almighty, he provided forgiveness, he offered grace, he provided a sacrifice that was acceptable so that we could be justified. But the commands that he has given us are not incredibly complicated. They can be winnowed down to two. Love God, in other words, love God Almighty, and love one another. And that's repeated throughout Scripture. Secondly, we need to believe his promises. We, know, we need to know his promises, and we need to believe every one of them. How many promises has God made? Well, I didn't count them this week. I didn't have enough time to count all of them, but apparently there may be at least 3,573. I, 
I can't make that many promises and keep track of them and, and make sure they all happen. God is almighty. God makes promises. He doesn't forget any of them. He makes sure all of them happen. When he says that a virgin will conceive, a virgin will conceive. When he says when the son will be born in Bethlehem, the son will be born in Bethlehem even though the parents don't live there. God is almighty. Every word God gives proves true. He is a shield to those who take their refuge in him. Proverbs 30, verse 5. The very first promise uh, that we see in the scriptures is found in Genesis where God says, uh, I'm going to take care of the sin problem. I'm going to defeat Satan. That's a promise. Did he keep his promise? Yes, absolutely. He kept his promise. Satan is defeated. Death is defeated. Where is the victory in death? There, There is no victory Uh, for those that are in Christ Jesus. The last promise in the Bible, this is a good one. This is one we should remember every day. The last promise is in Revelation 22.20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. He's going to come. He keeps his promises. He is God Almighty. Amen, so be it. So we are to be ruled by two commandments, believe his promises, but then there's one more thing that I would want us to remember, and that is to be sure, to be confident, to be settled, to be assured. Trust him completely. Believe him. Don't settle for the trinkets of this world when you can have eternal treasures. Don't don't make that trade. That's a silly trade. Romans 8, 28 through 39 reminds us uh, how confident we can be. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Almighty God justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Um, Who's going to condemn? Nobody. Jesus, God Almighty Jesus, is in our place. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors. How is this possible? Through him, God Almighty, who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything, nor anything, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is Almighty God. I want to give you some examples. These are not huge, important people by the world's standards. Most of them have been forgotten. You probably have heard the name of at least one of them. 
you've probably heard of Jim Elliott. If you've, if you've heard of Jim Elliott, would you raise your hand? Okay, so a vast majority of you have. Jim was a man of faith. There were five missionaries, but don't think of these men and their wives as superhuman giants. Think of them as men and women who knew and trusted and believed Almighty God. So I want to share some things about these uh, men. Uh, Operation Aka was an attempt to go into the Ecuadorian rainforest and share the gospel with some people who were scornfully called the Akas. That wasn't their real tribe name. They were called Akas because that's what another tribe called them. They're savages. They killed their own. They killed anybody that entered into their territory. They were brutal. They were fierce. They were terrifying. But they were no match for Almighty God. Here's what Jim Elliott said. He is, now, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, keep to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, he's saying, I know an almighty God, and I may lose my life, but I'm not a fool for doing that, because I trust the almighty God to give me something that's lasting for serving him. Jim wasn't focused on the food aspect of the Aka Indians, but he knew what they really needed. They needed the gospel. And he was willing to sacrifice himself to serve God in a place that most of us would be terrified to go. Um, Pete Fleming. Most of us don't know Pete Fleming. I had to look for a picture of him. There aren't too many. found a picture of him with his wife. Here's what Pete Fleming said. I do want to be committed to the work there in Ecuador, laying down my life for their faith. When he wrote that, he didn't know what his fate would be. But he said, I trust Almighty God, and I want them to have the faith in Almighty God that I have. So I'm willing to lay down my life for them. Now here's what's really cool. According to reports, Fleming was speared by Chemo, a man who later... A man who later became one of the first Aka converts to Christianity. He was willing to give his life for the faith of chemo. How about Nate Saint? Nate Saint said something that we should all ask ourselves. He said that <laughs> people that didn't understand the, the reality of him going to the mission field, that they thought he was kind of cracked in the head, right? But he didn't, he did, they didn't know Almighty God. They didn't know the Almighty God of... Nate Saint. So here's what Nate would ask us. When the bubble of your life bursts, what will remain? Did you ever play with bubbles? They're pretty. You blow the little wand or you wave the wand and the bubbles float around and poof, 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 poof. They're gone. What remains? Well, if the bubble's nothing. Okay? That's the point of the illustration. So Nate Saint, Nate Saint, Nate Saint said this. 
And people who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we would waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they've wasted. These men still speak. They knew the Almighty God. So let me just tell you real quickly about these five guys. Jim Elliott, he was, wanted to be an architect. Others encouraged him to be an actor. He was a gifted speaker. But the world in general doesn't know Jim Elliott. Pete Fleming, he was the high school valedictorian. That's kind of cool. He was a philosophy major. He didn't study missions. He was a philosophy major. God can use anybody, degreed or undegreed, no matter what the degree is. Nate Saint, he was an army vet, a pilot, a mechanic. He could fix planes. Hmm. God helped him to see on a trip to Mexico where a plane needed to be repaired the value of missions aviation. Ed McCulley wanted to be a lawyer. A lawyer? I actually know other lawyers who have become pastors. You, don't, you know, being a lawyer doesn't disqualify you, no matter how, what you think of lawyers. <laughs> and then there's Roger Udarian. He suffered from polio as a child. But then he became a World War II paratrooper and fought in the Battle of the Bulge. And he had an interest in languages, and it just so happened that they needed to learn a language of the savages in Ecuador. You see, God used all of the skills of all of these individuals, but it's only because he was God Almighty that they had any fruit from their labors. So uh, what's the next slide? I hope it's the... Uh, yes, that's the one, okay. I want to wrap this up before I just quote that again, the main idea. You and I can find hope in the names of God. You can find hope in the name of God, El Shaddai, God Almighty. God the Father is Almighty. God the Son is Almighty. God the Spirit is Almighty. And God does things both for his glory and for his name's sake. And so when God says, I'm Almighty, that means he will display his might. He chose to display his might in the lives of these five missionaries. And of course, many of us know Elizabeth Elliot, who also went on to declare the goodness and glory of God, as did the other ladies. They all went on to serve. It's by his glorious grace. And so what should we do? We should gaze at this almighty God as we experience life. We should see this almighty God who has provided all that we need through his Son, by the atoning work of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, we should meditate on God's grace-filled commitment to his name because he is almighty and his name will never fail. He will never be something less than almighty which means that all of his promises are as good as done. 
there's no concern. There's no question that he will meet those. And so take up the shield of faith. Ephesians 6.16 says, in all circumstances, every circumstance of life, the good ones, the bad ones, the hard ones, the easy ones, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Don't be deceived. There is a spiritual battle. But we have a king and a God almighty who has defeated the evil one. He is sufficient. So we have two choices. I have two choices. You have two choices. We can live by faith or we can live by sight. Living by faith in almighty God is the only wise and sensible choice. To live by sight, (laughs) it's just faulty. It's just not good thinking. It's crazy thinking, really. Now, sometimes God gives us good things, and we can see those good things in what he has given us. But oftentimes, life is hard, and there are struggles. We need to be people who live by faith. Living by faith is sensible. I did provide some questions for reflection, for thinking this through, because we really need to think about how do we apply this truth that God is almighty.